I don't like that sort of nomenclature. So I remember working in um, nonprofit organizations, mainly was where I worked in my career. And nonprofit organizations often call themselves like scrappy startup culture. This is Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Jasmine, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking a time out of your busy day to discuss career with me. Oh, I'm so excited to be here with you. It's been a pleasure. I love seeing your posts on LinkedIn. I love engaging with them. We engage with each other's posts. And so it's so nice to be able to meet you virtually. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. You're definitely one of the popular ones on LinkedIn. How did you get started on LinkedIn in terms of like building your audience and posting career content? Oh, it's kind of funny. To be 100% honest, I did not want to utilize LinkedIn. And I had spoken to a few career coaches when I first started out my business, and they were all telling me, how can you be a career coach and not be capitalizing on LinkedIn, not be sort of showcasing yourself, branding yourself? And I have to say that I had a hard time in my career with toxic workplaces, with this concept of being professional. And I didn't want to show up on LinkedIn. And I think it was really due to that. I was scared that if I was myself, my authentic self, and I said things the way that I wanted to say it, I wouldn't be accepted on the platform and I didn't want to be not accepted in another space. (laughs) So I didn't really start promoting myself on LinkedIn until much later in my business, a few months after I started. And it was really watching other career coaches, especially other career coaches of color, and seeing their authenticity, seeing their vulnerability, seeing people sharing stories very similar to mine about being in toxic work environments, being a woman of color in these kinds of environments, and just being so open and honest. Like That was what actually got me onto wanting to share my own story on the platform. And that's really what I utilize the platform for is a way to really showcase and share what I've gone through to validate others so that people know that you're not the crazy one. It's something that many people go through and in fact, to inspire them with advice on how to make that transition out. So I didn't use LinkedIn in the beginning, but now I'm the biggest advocate of it. And even in my group coaching program, The Professional Quitters, that is one of our core job search concepts. As you know, as a career coach, job searching has changed. So networking and utilizing LinkedIn is a necessity. And how did you start creating your business? Like, How did you start into uh, career coaching? Yeah. So I was in nonprofit management and leadership before I transitioned into career coaching. And what I found that I loved the most about the work that I did wasn't necessarily attached to my degree, which is in biochemistry. It wasn't anything related to that. It was the people part. It wasn't, you know, really motivating, coaching, mentoring my team members, understanding what their strengths are, understanding how to help them utilize it better, understanding what their path was or what they wanted it to be and really getting that out of them. So those were the components of my job that I enjoyed the most. And I didn't have that kind of real knowledge, support, or guidance in my own career 
because my parents didn't have the same privileges I did of going to college, getting a degree, getting you know a six-figure salary, a job. That wasn't in their cards, but it was in mine. And so I really wanted to take the experience that I had in management and leadership, take this desire to help specifically women of color like me who had similar backgrounds and didn't have that guidance, to just be able to give them the knowledge that they needed to level up in their careers. I love doing what I do. I love mentoring. I love coaching. It truly is one of the best things that I've had the blessing to do in my life. And so it started from really figuring out what my strengths were and, you know, coming into my story and meshing those things together to create what I love, my business. And you mentioned before that you were in uh, toxic work environments. So have a lot of clients that reached out to you, were they also in toxic environments as well and were looking for a way to get out? Yeah, unfortunately, many of the clients who work with me are, I think, because I talk a lot about being in toxic work environments on LinkedIn. I talk a lot about how to and just how to get yourself out of them, but in a way in which you give yourself forgiveness for even landing there in the first place. I think it's very easy for us to bash ourselves when we end up in these kinds of environments to think that it's us or that we're the problem. And so I like to really help women understand the art of forgiveness and the ability to be able to cultivate a very empowering mindset so that they have the capability to not just step out into a job search and get another job, but to really think about what is it that I want? What is it that I need? What kinds of environments do I need to be in order to be the successful version of myself? And how can I truly find that? And also, how can I back myself? How can I tell myself every day that's what I deserve and I'm not going to settle for anything less? You made a good point about like some people may think it's their fault because mm-hmm. when they do the job search, they're doing their due diligence. They're looking at reviews on Glassdoor. They've vetted the hiring manager and when they start going through the job, going through the onboarding, they realized that it wasn't as what they wanted it to be. And then it became toxic, but they thought that they did all the due diligence. So then they think, put the blame on them and say, oh, okay, maybe it's my fault because this is not the right environment for me. I thought it was, so I have to take it. Do you get that impression when you work with clients saying that I did all the due diligence and it's still a toxic environment? So is it my fault because it was not what I intended? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that there are times when we can do our due diligence, where we can follow our gut instincts. And unfortunately, when we get into the environment, that's really truly when you know. But what I find is that more so what my clients say is I did vet the company or I did do my due diligence, but there was a feeling that I had or like a gut feeling or a red flag that I ignored. So I think our most powerful way to walk through a job search is maybe not necessarily the most talked about way, which is follow your gut. I mean, your gut is always going to allow you to have the best instincts possible about what's right for you. So I think that there's a big mixture of strategy, a big mixture of mindset, and then you really have to trust yourself. Because I think a lot of times we take jobs with this desire or hope for it to be different, or we ignore certain things thinking that when we get there, it'll be better. And I like to take the stance of if you know what you want, if you know what you need, really follow that gut feeling and that gut instinct in the end. What are some common red flags that people tend to ignore or bypass and they don't think it's a big deal and then it's too late once they accept a job? 
Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that I think is really important and that we all have to place a big importance on is the managerial style that works best for you. And having a manager that really understands mentoring, coaching, and providing the support and guidance you need specifically in order to grow in your career. So when we think about our jobs, we often think about finding finding work that we enjoy or finding the logical next step in our career. If I'm a project manager, maybe I'm a senior project manager. But what I really want individuals to also think about is what kind of support do you need from the person who is supposed to give you the most support in this position, which is your manager. So I think one of the things that we might not pay as much attention to is who is this person? How do they manage? How do they lead? And is that aligned with the kind of leadership style that I work best with? And is that what I truly need to be able to achieve the level of success I want? And going to what you said in regards to like toxic environments, it's not always a toxic environment when you first start off. Maybe there's a restructuring, a reorganization, mm-hmm. you get a new manager that you don't vibe as well. And then sometimes if it's goes really bad, they want to start managing you out or the term quiet firing. Have you experienced a lot with some of the clients you work with where they see that they get a new manager and it looks like they're trying to like force them out? Have you experienced that with your clients that you work with? Yeah, I've experienced it with my clients and I've experienced it myself. But this was years ago when there wasn't such a term as quiet firing. So quiet firing truly is when management changes the scope of your position, doesn't provide you the tools or resources to be able to achieve your job, doesn't provide you the guidance, the support, the development you need. And there's a legitimate reason behind that. It's not just poor leadership. It's like a conscientious decision to start pushing you out of the organization. And it's terrible when you think about it, but I saw it happen myself and it also happened to me. I saw it happen to a coworker who was basically told, if you don't move to California, you're done. Like there's going to be no job for you. So it's giving people not even options that they can actually lean on, but truly giving them options where it's like, you either do this or you're out. And for me myself, I started to get work taken away from me. So I was a director doing work that was not director level work. I was getting all of my projects and opportunities taken away from me as a way to force me out of the organization. And so these are the kinds of things that are happening with quiet firing. And it's happened to my clients as well, getting forced out or feeling like you're getting forced out or things are changing, or you have so many roadblocks to be able to really be successful in your role. It's almost kind of like I come to work and I cannot achieve the things that I really want to achieve or know I need to achieve to do this job. And it is because of the lack of management, leadership, or guidance. So how does managing out happen? I know like one of the reasons could be your manager changes, but why does this happen, right? Like if they didn't like you, they wouldn't hire you in the first place. So why does someone want to kick you out of the company, so to speak? 
Yeah, there could be a multitude of different reasons. I mean, when we think about companies, I want you to almost think of this as a business, right? So oftentimes these things that are happening really don't have anything to do with you or your performance. They can also have to do with strictly legit business decisions or business needs and cutting costs. Like we're seeing a lot of firing right now. But if a company gets you to leave, right, or gets you to just kind of decide I'm not going to tolerate this or take this anymore, then they don't have to go through the process of giving you severance. They don't have to do the things that you would have to do or traditionally would do if they go the traditional route of firing you. So I want us all to always think about companies as businesses. You know, companies often say we're like a family here, but it's their businesses. And so we also need to protect ourselves and think about ourselves when we're stepping into these organizations and companies. Yeah, like one of the red flags is they say we're a family, uh, yeah. work hard, play hard. There's probably a few other ones that I can't think of right now. Yeah. What are some like, yeah, what are some like big red flags of companies that use like those toxic terms? Like what, well, yeah, what toxic terms do they do use? Yeah. So yeah, I hate that family thing. You know, to me, it breeds or this, it gives me this thought of loyalty. Like I'm supposed to be loyal to you. And, you know, the only person I think that we're supposed to be loyal to in our careers is ourselves. I hate the term fast paced. I really do. I don't like that, you know, that sort of nomenclature. So I remember working in um, nonprofit organizations mainly was where I worked in my career. And nonprofit organizations often call themselves like scrappy, startup culture, entrepreneurial culture, all because they don't really have funding sometimes to be able to get things done. Like here you wear multiple hats. That's all red flags to me because to me that means fast paced really means, you know, there might be some issues here with work-life balance. And when you think about wearing multiple hats, I just want to wear one. I just want to do one job, just one job. (laughs) So I think those are the things that you really have to listen out for is, you know, how are they describing the company and how are they describing the team and the culture there? And if they're using words that don't align with what you're looking for, you know, that's a red flag in itself. Yeah, wearing multiple hats, that's code for we can't pay two people to do the job. So we're going to give two people's jobs to you, right? For exactly. one person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's awful. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what are some signs of like managing out? Obviously, like you said, like work being taken away from you. Yeah. Uh, if you're director level, you're getting like a specialist work, making the work very boring. So you you get bored and want yeah. to leave. What are some other tactics that come to use to try to manage you out? Yeah, shutting you out from meetings, shutting you out from communication would be another big one. So if you're not involved in communications that are important to getting your work done, that's something. So shutting you out of meetings, shutting you out of communications, not providing growth and development opportunities. So not giving you the opportunities to make the level up or even putting kind of a barrier and where you are and not allowing you to do any movement. When your manager just isn't involved, you know, they are not involved in discussions with you. They're canceling weekly meetings. They're not providing that guidance. So those things that you start to see or that you start to have happen to you where you really feel, okay, it is hard for me to get my work done. It is hard for me to get questions answered. It is hard for me to move around. I don't have the same access to resources as I did before, whether that be people, teams, things. So those are the big signs there that 
you may be getting pushed out. What's the timeline of getting pushed out? Obviously, they have the document stuff, maybe put you on PIP. So if someone believes that they're being managed out, what's the timeline or how much time they have before they're out of work? Well, I would say if you feel like you're getting pushed out, if you feel like you're getting managed out, I would say immediately start to reach out to your network and start to activate an exit plan because we don't know what the actual time is between when you know you are feeling it and when it really happens, when you do get pushed out, if they do fire you. So if you're at a point where you don't feel like your career is progressing, if you don't feel like you're getting the resources that you need, if you don't feel like you have access to opportunities, then that's a good sign Either way, whether you're getting pushed out or not, that's a good sign for you to start thinking, okay, what's my next step here? And to ask yourself some really reflective questions. What would be the next opportunity for me? What am I really great at? What's my value? What's my contribution? What problems do I help companies solve? What problems do I want to help companies solve? What industry do I want to work in? Do I want to stay in this industry or potentially make a transition? And also, who can I start to? communicate with or who can I start to activate in terms of my network to provide me support, whether it be mentorship and just validation to talk it through or to truly help me connect to potential next opportunities. So we talked about being managed out or quiet firing. The other part of the spectrum is that they don't plan to fire you or or have any intention of firing you. However, they don't plan to promote you either. So are there any subtle signs between quiet firing and stalling in a company? Yes, definitely. So with quiet firing, the company is making or management is making more of a conscientious decision to put a barrier or a wall up. So they're not giving you opportunities. There's no growth possibilities, but it's more of a conscientious decision to do so. Now, when we think about the opposite, which is a company just doesn't align with where you want to go in your career, or they just simply don't have those opportunities available to you, then you want to think about those questions that I mentioned before, where you really start to focus in on what is it that I want my next move to be? What kinds of opportunities am I really seeking or looking for? And how can I start to activate my network to bring in those opportunities to me or to locate those potential opportunities? So the difference really is that either the company just doesn't have it because it's not available, or the company is really truly putting up barriers or walls to stop your growth or to stop you from being able to achieve the best results in your employment or in your job because they are trying to push you out. Yeah, there's only so many positions open for promotion. So let's say there's four people, like there's only one person that can get it. What's your thoughts on like trying again compared to like, okay, I'm going to just go somewhere else at this point? I think it depends on how honest and how open you are being with your management and with leadership. So it's always important for us to have self-advocacy, for us to know that tool of self-advocacy. So you should know where you want to go in your career, and you should be having those conversations along the way with your manager to talk about how can I grow and develop here? What's a development plan for me? What are opportunities for my next step? And if you've been having those conversations and it's clear with your manager that there isn't room for that level of growth or isn't really the things that you want aren't available, then that's really how you know, okay, I have to make that transition. 
out. So I think it's important to be conscientious of what your needs are and how you want to grow and develop and where you want to go next and be advocating for yourself along the way and having those conversations. Because if you are having those conversations, you're being open and honest with your manager, then you will know when the opportunities just simply are not there for you. So I always tell people, if you like a company, if you like the culture, if you like the team, if you like the manager and you know, you want it to work, then you have to be having those chats, you have to be going in on your growth and development. But sometimes the opportunities just simply are not there. So one the other thing here is, is about being comfortable, right? Some people have the fear mm-hmm. of like the unknown. So okay, I'm not being managed out, but I'm not getting promoted. But it seems like I'm comfortable, I'm used to this environment. So I know everything. And Sometimes they are afraid for the unknown. So how what do you recommend or what strategies can you provide in regards to taking that leap to get what you want in your career and not feel stagnant just because you feel comfortable and you don't want to take that risk? Yeah. So comfort and not taking risks are two things that I don't want anyone to align with. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. I want you to take some risks. That's really where the growth and the magic happens. So if you feel like you're comfortable in your career, but you want more, then you have to follow the feeling and desire of wanting more. You have to really lean into how can I grow and develop? What is it? What is it that I want? And am I looking for? How are potentially, even if this is working out, my needs? not really being met. Because it can be like I mentioned that you have a good organization, a good company, a good team, a good manager, but your needs still are not being met in terms of where you want to grow in your career and where you want to go. So if you're comfortable, that's really but you want more, that's the sign there that you want more and you should go out and really seek it. So not leaning into comfort, but more so leaning into What do I want this career to look like for me? And that can change at different stages of life. So early on in your career, you can really have the desire to want more in your career and you have to follow, you know, that desire. Got it. So what would be one of the main takeaways of this episode in regards to, let's say they're not happy with their career right now, uh, either whether they're being managed out, so they only have a few months left, or they've been at this company in the same position for a few years and they want to make a change. What would be a main takeaway that you would want a listener or watcher to get to take the next step in the right direction to get the career they want? Yeah. So I think the most important thing is self-reflection. I think it's always really important to be connected to self. And it's always really important to listen to that internal guiding system. A lot of times we stay in environments or we stay in jobs because as you mentioned, and that was a really important word that you used, we get comfortable. You have that paycheck coming in, you know exactly what you need to do every day, you know how to play the politics, you know who to go to if you need help. And so stepping out of the comfort zone is something that we all fear as humans. But here's the thing, it is so important for you to always be asking yourself some deep reflective questions. Am I happy where I am? Am I truly happy where I am? Am I getting my needs met? What's my definition of career success? And is this actually taking me on the path to that definition of career success? Am I still where I want to be? And am I still going in the direction that I want to go? So I think self-reflection is really the most important thing in every area of life, including your career, and to really tap into that. And if you ask yourself these 
deep questions and the answer is, well, I'm not really where I am or I want more or want to go more further or I want to do more, then you really have to then ask yourself, well, what does more mean? So it's about getting deep with yourself. It's about asking yourself questions, that self-reflection, and then creating a path towards that. And I always tell everyone, do not think that you can do this alone or that you should be doing this alone. Lean on resources your professional community, networking, LinkedIn, lean on people or lean on opportunities or lean on groups who can help you address and answer these questions so that you don't have to do it alone. Speaking of career change, you made the career change by going from employee to entrepreneur, correct? So what made you decide to, instead of going from another job, you decide, okay, this is the right time to start something for my own. Like, What was the thought process behind that? You know, I wanted to be able to create change um, and I wanted to work on my own personal mission in doing that. So I had helped many organizations build. I had helped many organizations grow and I helped many organizations with their own missions and their own ideas and concepts. But I wanted to work on my own. I wanted to work on what inspired me the most. And that truly is helping women of color be able to get in the environments and in the positions that are right for them, that are the places where they can be successful and thrive so they can have the career they want. Having the career you want, having the career success you want, making the money you want starts by being not just in the right job, but also by being in the right company. And so I like to help women of color really conscientiously think about both things and seek both of those things out and land in the right place for them so that they truly can have the career they want. From your own experience and working with clients, what are some like disadvantages being a woman of color in the corporate workplace that a lot of people don't know about? So I think that no matter what, any variables you add make things more difficult. So whether you're a woman of color, a woman, a person of color, a man of color, a person from a marginalized community, the more variables you add, the more differences there are for you. And being different biologically means that you're an outcast. So it's just a biological thing here. But it creates and breeds a lot more fear, a lot more doubt, a lack of confidence, a desire to be a part of even though you don't feel like it. So there's a lot of factors that go into being a woman of color in the workplace that just inevitably make you feel like you just don't belong. And when you feel like you don't belong somewhere, you question yourself more. You don't seek out as many opportunities. You close yourself off. You kind of push into yourself. You don't network as much. So a lot of these things that we talk about, including self-advocacy, being confident, you know, asking for what you want, showing up and, you know, really showing yourself and being authentic. A lot of these things that we talk about are just hard. They're just harder. And it all comes from the point of I am different. And being different, just even from a biological standpoint, isn't necessarily always the best thing. And for you, like you said that you were managed out before. What are some learning lessons that you had when you faced adversity in your career? And how did you overcome those? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is like, if you think something is happening to you, 
if you feel as though you're experiencing something, if something doesn't feel right, then it's not because you get to feel whatever you want to feel. And so the biggest lesson that I learned was that I have to listen to myself and that if I feel I'm experiencing something, then I need to give myself the validation that I deserve. And I really need to start making the plan to find a place where I can truly show up as 110% of myself and get the career success I deserve, because that's what we all go to work for. We all go to work to really be that successful individual we want to be, however we define it. And so that's the thing that I think is really important is listen to yourself. And if you think something's happening, validate yourself and start creating that thoughtful plan of action to start making the steps to get out. What are some uh, common mistakes that your clients have faced in trying to like grow their career and that you're able to help them solve? Yeah, I think some of the common mistakes that we can make is, I was just talking to a client about this actually today, thinking that we are in the wrong or thinking that what's happening to us is our fault. Oftentimes we are told to work really hard, to put our heads down and get the work done. And when it's not working out, we can very often look at ourselves and almost kind of gaslight ourselves. There must be something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not trying hard enough. Maybe I have to change something. Maybe I have to do something differently. And so I think the biggest thing that we need to change is give ourselves the validation that we need and start making those steps to get out. I think that's the most important thing. I think the biggest mistake that we sometimes make, I know the biggest mistake that I made is staying thinking things were going to change. And I don't want anyone to stay in a situation that isn't working. There's a difference between staying and advocating for yourself, realizing you're not going to get what you want and leaving and staying and not speaking up and then just staying. It's all about taking action, right? Absolutely. We have to take action, but from a conscientious space of what is that action I should be taking for myself to get to where I want to go. So obviously we're both in the career coaching space. We know what's going on in the job market in North America. Doesn't seem that prosperous right now. So mm-hmm. where do you see the job market heading in the next year or two? And what's your thoughts on like people wanting to make a move now when there's a lot of uncertainty in the job market? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I want everyone to do, and this was a mistake that I personally made early on in my career, one of the things I want everyone to do is stay ready and stay ready so you never have to get ready. And the stay ready so you never have to get ready is the networking piece. What we often do is we network when we have a need for something. But one of the biggest reasons people don't like to network is because it feels transactional. So it's kind of an oxymoron where it's like, I'm not going to do it until I need something. But then when I need something, I don't want to ask for it. So the most important thing I think everyone should be doing, because things are so fluid right now, and there's so many different changes happening in the job market, is activate your network and keep your networking activated. So stay ready so you just don't have to get ready. So if you have that network activated and you keep activating it and you cultivate it and you bring more people in, then there's a better opportunity when you want something different. Not even if you 
get fired, but when you want something different, to be able to have a group of individuals who support you, who can guide you, who can activate you, who can advocate for you, who can push you in the right direction. So that's the most important thing that I think we all have to be doing. The job search is not the same as it was years ago, where we could just apply to jobs, get interviews, and get hired. We know that right now people are are applying to sometimes hundreds of jobs and still not getting the employment that they're seeking. There are people who are out there on the job market for months looking for employment. So the number one thing is start the networking, set networking goals weekly, monthly, and stick to it and stay ready so that you don't have to get ready. Yeah, 100%. Like, LinkedIn is a good example, right? Like, a lot of people, we're content creators, right? So we're always on LinkedIn, but you have the people that only go on LinkedIn when they need a job, but that's not fully utilizing the platform because when you're looking for a job or need a job, then it becomes very transactional, then getting to know each other before. And then if you need a job, then it doesn't seem as awkward to ask at that point. Absolutely. I 100% agree. It's one of the biggest reasons why people say they don't network is because I don't like asking for things. It's too transactional. And I kind of giggle to myself because I agree because I did the same thing. And I don't want anyone to make the mistakes that I made early in my career. I totally understand. But the thing is, if you're already having these organic conversations then when you do feel the need to ask for support, it feels much different. And also along the way, you might be supporting others, right? Others in your network who also need support. So it's just a great thing to practice and a great thing to do. Awesome. Jasmine, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on my show today to discuss different career obstacles people may face, whether it's being managed out or being stalled in a company. So I usually like to ask this question for my guests at the end of the interview to wrap our conversation up. So my podcast is about helping professionals overcome common career challenges to help them get to the next level. So for you, what was one big career challenge that you had to face to get to where you are today? I think the biggest challenge that I had to face was the question of, can you really be authentic at work? So there was a lot of time in my career where I felt like I diminished myself or I didn't want to tell people where I grew up because I already looked different. I already talked different. Everybody knows, you know, where I'm from and it you know, I have tattoos and I just didn't want to have all of these things be so different from everyone else in the workplace. And so I had a hard time being myself at work. And so I think the biggest challenge that I had was how do I represent the person that I am outside of work in this environment? And that question of, can I really be authentic at work? So that was a major challenge for me. And it took a lot of It took a lot of almost embracing my story, embracing who I am, embracing my identity, embracing my culture, and not caring about perceived judgment from others. So that was a big challenge for me. And I'm happy that I overcame that challenge by just finally coming to the point of, you know, I don't want to be two different people. I don't want to be a person out of work and a person in work. I really want to be me. And so I think that was my biggest challenge was, can you really be authentic at work? And my answer is, yes, I think you can. That's such a good point because there's a lot of debate of like coworkers are not your friends. You shouldn't give up too much personal information. They might use it against you. So what's your take on all that in regards to like, like coworkers are not really your friends. You shouldn't give up too much. 
Yeah. I mean, I didn't go into work and, you know, talk about, you know, my weekend and my cocktails and like my partying, you know, I was just me. <laughs> you know, like I was just me. I was just all that I am, my sometimes goofy self, my sometimes loud self, you know, I was just me. And so I just don't want people to represent the workplace as a battlefield, because if that's the experience that you're having, then you need to get out of that experience because that isn't the experience you should be having. Got it. Okay. So it's one of those things like if you don't think you'd be like, friend, obviously there's a fine line, but it comes to a point like if you're being too protective of yourself, then it's probably not the right culture. Absolutely. Yeah. And I have, you know, made great friends at work, but I also don't, not everybody outside of work is my friend either. So it's about who you vibe with and who you trust and who you feel, you know, comfortable with. But I think it's also about feeling comfortable with yourself first. Absolutely. And how can uh, people reach out to you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Yeah. So I am on LinkedIn all the time. I'm also on Instagram at Jasmine Escalera Coaching. I have a podcast called Her Next Career Move, where I talk about all the different challenges and barriers that women of color face in the workplace and how we can overcome them from a state of mindfulness, empowerment, and also, of course, strategy. And I do have a group coaching program for women of color job seekers called The Professional Quitters, which is really focused on finding not just the right job, but the right company. Great. Again, I appreciate your time, Jasmine, and have a great week. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.